Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 446 is recorded live April 30th, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where I'm starting to see some leaves pop out on those trees. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I mean, we've been doing rain, wind, and sunshine, so a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's been a soggy week. Driving by some of the creeks, it's uh, right up to the edge of the banks. Uh, I think whatever clear water was in the creek is no longer there. I think we've displaced that with a little bit of silt. Uh, but farmers are not going to be getting any crops in the ground anytime soon because uh, tractors are just going to s- sit right up to their hubs. And looking at some maps, I saw that uh, Michigan is, is pretty high in the moisture count, which I think is probably evident by the high Lake Michigan, even though you can have a high Lake Michigan and, and be dry as a bone. But it's kind of all going hand in hand this year. Well, I know the lowlands down there by the golf course, a lot of those areas are flooded. The people were actually out there fishing last week and catching stuff. <laughs> yeah, because it's still fishing bleeding. a water hazard. It's still ble- Yeah, a hell of a water hazard. It still bleeds in from the river. And I talked to the gentleman yeah. today, and uh, they are opening up the uh, fairway for the weekend. Yeah, That's going to be interesting. He said it's wet, but uh, playable. There are, like like a lot of these activities, whatever your passionate activity is, and after as much time as people have been delayed on doing some of them, you know that they're going to get out there. And uh, my girlfriend, he took off, I think, this week, and he's been posting like every day he's been getting out in the golf course. Uh, so he's he's pretty excited. Uh, and I'm seeing people uh, posting that, you know, back in Michigan, they got, they've uh, allowed boats to be back in the water. So you're starting to see some of that activity going on. And then that gives us something to look forward to. So let's go ahead and get into that time of the show where we talk about diving in the news. And before we do that, I want to thank uh, the people in the chat room. We have Derek and Dave and Eric and Karen. Thank you very much for listening live and keeping us sane and on track. And that, as I always say, they have better conversations, I think, in there than we do. Uh, first article up, whoops, I've got two computers and I'm clicking on the wrong one. First article up is divers join thank you to the NHS more than 30, uh, 30, 300 feet below the sea level. Divers in the North Sea gas rigs joined millions of people last night in a weekly thank you for NHS and care workers from more than 300 feet below the surface. Divers based in the maintenance vessel River Polaris carrying out dangerous underwater maintenance work on the rigs in Jura gas fields, a hundred miles east of Shetland islands and 275 miles northeast of Aberdeen. Today, they displayed a poster carrying message. Thank you to the NHS from the river Polaris depth, 110 meters or 330 feet. The poster also bears a rainbow symbol, which has become synonymous with giving thanks to the NHS and other essential services during the coronavirus pandemic. 
RMT General Secretary Mick Cash said, RMT is proud of our members who are carrying out their own essential work deep below the North Sea, taking the trouble to send out their own message to support the NHS workers, which is a, uh, that is what trade union solidarity is all about. RMT members are keeping up the energy supply flowing, the trains, the tubes, lorries, and buses running on the ship, bringing essential supply sailing. It is the efforts of the huge army of essential workers across the wide range of services that will pull us through this crisis, and they deserve every bit of public support that will be on display again this evening. More than 100 divers who are qualified medics have also signed up to volunteer to help ease the pressure on NHS staff during the COVID-19 emergency, RMT said. So enough acronyms in there. I have no idea what they're talking about, but I'm sure our UK listeners will understand and maybe they'll translate for us. I think I know what the tube is. Well, that's National Health Service, the UK. The National Health Service? Yes. Is is NHS, but I also had the RMT, uh, which I'm not sure what that one is. I was thinking of the Royal Mounted Police, but I don't think that's it. No. (laughs) If that was Canada, it might, Ben. Yeah, maybe in Canada that that could have been. And then the next one we have is dive operations dry up due to coronavirus shutdown. See, this one is from the sunsentinel.com. Captain Jim Hill got his master's license in 1996. He began taking divers into Atlantic Ocean aboard Loggerhead Out of uh, Brighton Beach Marina in 2000. Many events have occurred during his long experience as a scuba diver, dive boat captain, owner of the dive business. Nothing compares to the total embargo that shut down maritime operations throughout the state because of coronavirus. This spring break and Easter, busy time for dive operators. We can't run. No money is coming in. I can understand what they're saying about the quarantine, but this is hurting business real bad, Hill said. He is distressed that his operations have been shut down at the most critical time when tourists enjoy Florida's maritime activities. Considering the after effects, when we are allowed to go back to work, people will be so far in debt that they will have no funds to go diving. That in turn hurts my business, he said. What this dive boat owner and operator describes as the crux of the situation has stopped the world in its tracks. Hill's concerns are echoed by Adam Bridwell, owner of Starfish Scuba, operated out of the Brighton Harbor Marina at the same dock used by Loggerhead. Essentially, March and April are fourth and fifth highest grossing months. We are losing those months. We can't run charters with close contact. We have suspended all service, canceled instruction and rentals. We do dive travel. People who book with us now, we have nothing. It has come to a screeching halt, he said. Jeff Nelson, a veteran instructor of Force E Dive Store in Riviera Beach, get away to one of Florida's most popular shore access dive sites in the Blue Heron Bridge, is concerned. It is totally blocked. There is tape across, and the sheriff's officers don't allow anyone except those that have commercial license to fish for the food market to launch their boats. They'll not let anyone walk on the beach. Divers cannot do a shore dive, he said. For dive instructors, the dilemma is that the pools are closed. They can't bring students together, so there's no incomes. Instructors also earn their livelihood guiding dives. Oh, divers. Nelson said his rental gear has always been sterilized as a matter of routine. We are operating with a skeleton crew at Riviera Beach Store. First responders need to have their tanks filled and have access to gear. For customers that really need equipment, they can order by phone, pay with a credit card, pick it up outside the store. Ship. Oh, Skip. I am. I'm, I'm just going to forget his last name. Owner of Force E with a major dive shops in Pompano Beach and Boca Raton, in addition to the Riviera Beach, described the response to the emergency. 
We are closed because we have first responders require air fill. We're keeping a skeleton crew. We've kept everyone at full payroll, hoping that this proposed federal loan will help us. It's a family here. It would be impossible to replace people who've been working for and with us. We have rent and payroll to make. Despite their online store, he is concerned about expense mounts without income coming in, but he will not give up. I've been here for 40 years. We hope to be here the next 40. We're offering training specials online. Divers can do academics that way and complete courses when the pools are available when we take them out in the open water. He's trying to stay creative by staying in touch with his customers. We send emails so they know we're here and know we care. Last thing we want to do is create health problems with our customers. Those are the staffing, the store, all volunteers. They do not have to do it. So, I mean, that's something that we need to keep in mind that a lot of these, you know, th- these are not people who are getting rich off it. And in, in many cases, they're they're doing something they love and something that we love being able to. So if there's a way that you can support them when these, when most of their revenue isn't there, and then as soon as these open up, uh, you know, how, how, wouldn't it be nice to be a, a dive operator and know that you've got the next six months to a year booked? Uh, at work, they're, they're, they've asked us to, and I say asked, it really wasn't an ask, but we've got to use up all our vacation that we've accrued. I usually try to save a year's vacation just for emergencies, and we're going to have to use it. So I've, I've put in my vacation time like I'm supposed to, but uh, what I want to do is uh, take advantage of those times I can get to dive, and I'm going to move those days around to get some, some diving in the spring. So this could be a record diving year for me just with a late start. And let's see, the next one we have is Diver Search Contaminated Water for the Last New Zealand Volcano Victims. Did I lose you, Mac? No, no, I'm here. Okay. It just, it's like, like you said, it gets so quiet. I'm a little paranoid after last week. Uh, police divers search for the two remaining victims of Monday's volcano eruption and contaminated waters around New Zealand's White Island on Saturday. The primary title of the sufferer was formally launched. Uh, uh, sufferer? Is, uh, am I missing? Am I? I'm already confused in the first line. I you're reading title it correct. Suffer was formally launched. Is that is that as confusing to you as it is to uh, me? Yes, it is. Because they're not a surfer, and that's what it looked like. Well, that's what I wanted to say, and that's normally my mind would just translate it. But yeah, volcanoes uh, and surfing don't go together. Yeah, uh, Crystal Eve ba- uh, Brow at 21 in Melbourne, Australia, was recognized as one of the 15 folks killed when the volcano abruptly erupted browett was visiting the island together with her household her father paul and sister stephanie have each uh critically injured and and stray and stay hospitalized the bbc reported amongst the 20 individuals who suffered critical burns from the searing water and ash some mates and households have been introduced their family members have been killed within the eruption however browett is the primary sufferer formally recognized by police I just think this must be different. <laughs> Derek in the chat room saying, I tried to read that article. I gave up. I tran- Or it's translated from French by a German living in Peru. <laughs> it's possible. That, that could be a written in another. It's been translated back and forth a few times. Two teenagers initially from Chicago, Matthew and Brendan Holliger, 13 and 16, have been residing in Australia, died in the hospital following the eruptions. Their mother and father, father Martin Hollander, 48, and Barbara Hollander, 50, additionally in Chicago native, have been among the many lacking earlier within the week. Holy mackerel. These are not even sentences. So to kind of skip, to skim across it, there was 24 Australians, nine people, 
five New Zealanders, four Germans, two Britain, two Chinese language, and a Malaysian that had been on the island at the time. Even that doesn't even make sense. So we're going to blame Donna Miller. It says Donna is one of the oldest con- contributors, unique perspective regards science, and that she makes up fantastic uh, words to describe things. Do you remember this, this one, the, don't you? This was when they had a Royal Caribbean cruise ship stopped for their tour, and they went up to do mm-hmm. walk the volcano and check it out, and then it blew up. And this is the follow-up to the people that did get killed in that explosion. And some of the people that were missing, this is the follow-up to locate them. I completely missed that. I, you know, I'm under a rock lately with all this other stuff going on, and I miss it there. I heard that there was an eruption, uh, but it just sounded like it was typical eruptions or, or something. But not no, I hadn't seen this one. This is terrible. It, it It's... I don't know why I always feel like it's more tragic when people on vacation doing nothing wrong have a tragedy. You know, cause you, it's almost like it's double bad. Cause you've, you have to take time. You saved up money. You did all this stuff and then here it happens. Uh, so when was the eruption? Do they have a date on it? Uh, we actually talked about the eruption about it's been a couple of months ago. So this was a follow up for the people who were missing. Okay. December. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I was trying to figure out with everything going on. You know, I know New Zealand is doing really well. In fact, I think they claimed or not claim, claim makes it sound negative, uh, that they've announced that they believe they have stopped the virus in New Zealand and anybody well, I think, coming in. I, I think they're doing a two week quarantine. I heard that there's only, what, 12 people living in New Zealand, so it's not too hard? I mean, who lives there besides the hobbits and stuff, right? You said who lives there but what? Besides the hobbits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a, I got a neighbor down the road who's, who's from New Zealand. They spend six months in New Zealand and then six months up here. Uh, they get summer both ways around. Uh, do you know Sass was there uh, last month? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, he flew into Australia, then they went over from Australia to New Zealand. He's been there a couple of times. And if you don't, if you have not looked at his uh, photographic skills, I mean, a lot of times you see the uh, sea life he takes. But him and his brother are very, very good photographers. And it's not surprising that you will occasionally find some of their shots with National Geographics. But he yeah. does some fabulous work. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've taken some uh, dive classes up there at SAS and. Uh, his, his presentations are amazing just because all the photos are his and as a good salesman, he inserts the ones, like, I think he had some truck lagoon photos that he slipped in and you're like, Oh yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. Like who does not want to go to truck? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, somebody who does not know what's there. If you're a diver, you gotta know what's there. Oh yeah. Yeah, we need to have him back on. Another one of the 80 people that I say we have to have back on, but it'd be nice to have him on and do some talking. Uh, and with him helping out with the preserve as a board member, I'm, I'm sure I can con him into coming on again. We're just talking to him Sunday. Uh, well, like to say, if you look at their dives, they've got a lot of schedule, a lot of them scheduled for Lake Michigan, starting out with the Claybanks, Rockaway, and some of the bigger wrecks, mm-hmm. deeper wrecks. So they're yeah. they're in they're in they're in for all of it. We just need to get back out there diving. Yeah, yeah we certainly do. And then uh, this one's kind of uh, more of not our normal type of article, but I like to cover some of the business that's going on. 
It says driving trips platform Zublu or Z-U-B-L-U, Zubla, adds $1 million in seed funding. So what they're doing is they're getting some investors lined up. It's a travel booking platform. The round was led by Wavermaker Partners with Mana Impact, She1K, and Angel Investors also participating. The company was founded in 2017, had previously been backed by Betatron, a Hong Kong-based accelerator since 2019, Zublu, which is a focus on destinations within Asia, says it has grown its resort partner network and its member community by in 2020 by 46% and 425% respectively, despite the COVID-19 crisis. Adam Broadbent, co-founder of Zublu, says scuba diving and underwater adventure travel in particular to remote destinations home to, incre- to incredible experiences are uniquely positioned to flourish in a post-coronavirus market. More than ever, we expect people to seek out memorable to seek out memorable encounters, to want to escape the crowds, experience new cultures, support sustainable business practices, all of which are central to Zublu's ethos. According to the company, scuba diving travel sector in Asia alone is worth $4.5 billion, is expected to grow significantly. The platform helps users search, compare, and book dive trips easily. It adds that responsible travel is part of the offering, with the operators on the platform vetted for their commitment to sustainable practices, Paul Santos, managing partner, Wave Maker Partners, said scuba divers are typically very passionate, high-value travelers. We were surprised to learn how inconvenient it is for them to find good information to plan and book their trips. Throughout this pandemic, pandemic Zublu has experienced strong traction from divers already planning their trips despite the current global shutdown and travel. Combined with the company's high capital efficiency means it can spend time building and refining their platform, onboarding more high-quality dive partners. <coughs> so in the tech world, a million dollars isn't much, and probably the biggest value from that million dollars is the uh, press release that got out there talking about them getting that money. So uh, they're probably a fairly small company, and uh, that won't go long because if they do, you know, a lot of these companies will try and grow really quick, and it's about buying market share, trying to get some uh, visibility and I think a lot of people around here usually uh, book through, they either book it themselves or they go through dive shops. Does so I wonder what their case is that they're saying makes them unique? Haven't looked at that aspect, you know, to see what they do. But you're right. I think the majority around here is through the dive shop. And the reason they do it that way is because that's where you took your training. You know the people and they obviously have been there. Like SAS, he never sells something he hasn't been before. And he's been enough times that when you go, he gets priority treatment, especially yeah. when you get out to the islands and stuff. Yeah, yeah. For for the trips he does, like especially like we mentioned, Truck Lagoon, uh, I doubt there are many that are going to be able to do any better than what he can do. Well, he is probably yeah, so, one of the most uh, – he goes there all the time. Everybody knows him. He knows where to go. The people know him. And he gets to go on some of the dives that the normal ones won't go on because they've already, they got, they've known him. Uh, They know how he operates and how he's very safety conscious. So he'll go places you normally won't get on another tour. Well, what I've noticed when I do trips with a dive shop is that the operator, when you get down there, 
is relieved that you're coming with that dive shop because because you the dive shop is a proxy to your reputation. So if you're going with a reputable dive shop that has a good relationship with these resorts, that's one less thing that that operator has to be worried about because it, it, it's like they know that those divers that are associated with that shop, that there's somebody watching out and vetting it. So if it's a more advanced dive, a dive shop typically doesn't want to take somebody on that who isn't capable or they're going to look and say, I've got eight spots, seven are super experienced and I'm going to train this last one. So it's almost like they have a one-on-one with them. So there's, there's a lot there. And I, and I've heard, we've talked to the operators. Uh, if you remember when we went to uh, Cooper river, yep. uh, that was one of the things he said is he just, yeah, when he just has people sign up directly as a tour operator and people come and do the dive, you've got all sorts of craziness. They don't know what to expect. And yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of hurting cats, but when you have a reputable dive op shop, bringing people in, uh, it reduces some of the unknowns. And that is not the place I would want an unknown. No. I mean, when you're on a, gosh, how many hours does it take you to get to, to uh, truck lagoon? A long time. Then a couple of flights. Yeah. yeah. And if you have an injury, how long, uh, you know, <laughs> what is it going to take? You know, the bends, uh, you know, how far to a chamber, how far to a hospital? Yeah. The, uh, Karen was saying that, uh, uh, diving with Rick was the only reason she was allowed to, uh, do one of her dives before she had her advanced. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's, it's kind of like when you were in college and you wanted to get in that class and you, know, you knew you didn't have the prerequisite, but you're a quick learner. Well, your, your dive shop can vouch for you. And then we've got an article, a scuba diver has extremely close look with a large stingray. I couldn't view it. Uh, because my internet is so bad, but I'm, I'm trusting that there's uh, got to be a big stingray in there somewhere. Uh, said this, uh, the scuba divers rewarded with a look right in the eyes of a massive stingray. The divers are in the background, equally thrilled with such a close look at one of the most majestic creatures under the sea as it turns and swims away. So this is a video. So when you get this, you go to the show notes and you're going to be able to take a look. It's a pretty good video, by the way. I'm watching it. Is it? I yeah. just when, when Karen and her mom were talking about the uh, doing the the dives there in Hawaii, uh, the manta dives. That's similar. You know, I, I'm I'm jealous. I got to get out and do one of those again. Another bucket list. Yeah, the write up on the article is pretty good though. Which one? The one that on the, the I just read. Yeah, scuba diver has a look at. If you go down, the verbiage is pretty good and correct. It talks about stingrays are one of the most feared creatures in the ocean, but undeservably so. They're actually shy and reclusive, and they usually choose to avoid coming close to humans. They lie flat on the bottom, camouflage themselves in the sand to avoid detection. They'll generally swim away from scuba divers, though they do occasionally become curious if the diver is non-threatening. The the scuba diver in the pictorial uh, made a very slow, cautious approach and was rewarded with a Look right into the eyes of the massive stingray. Divers in the background were equally thrilled to get such a close look at one of the most mag- uh, majestic creatures under the sea. As it turns and swims away, it gives a close look at the tail that is equipped with a sharp and uh, venomous barb used for self-defense. The barb can penetrate even the tough skin of a shark if the stingray lashes out to defend itself. An unwary swimmer who steps on a stingray may be also injured. But stingrays never attack and do not hunt prey with their barbs. 
any human injuries documented have occurred due to careless behavior on the part of the humans. When I was on San Francisco diving, and out there in uh, the estuary in the bay, that's where we learned what they call the stingray shuffle. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. it you try to make sure that uh, you, you spook them away before you step on them? Yeah, you, you do not raise your foot and take steps like you do on land. You sort of shuffle your feet. So it gives, a, a, you know, force of the water, which will disturb something before you step on it. And that barb comes up and hits you, like our friend from Australia did. Yeah, Steve Irwin, he had uh, an unfortunate thing. And, and it wasn't, you can't blame the animal that he was just, it was a reaction by the animal being startled. And it just happened to be the worst possible way that could go down where, he was impaled by the barb, uh, went right into his heart, and they say killed him pretty quickly. And uh, Derek and them put some of the pictures on on the site, or did you take a look at it? Oh, yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, those are some nice ones. About uh, So you call these smooth rays, Derek? He's, he's showing us some photos in the chat room. They, they almost look like uh, uh, spacecraft kind of floating around. You mean like a stealth? Yeah. Got that Delta look. Uh-huh. I like the paint job on them, too. <laughs> <laughs> so from from above, they, they match with the bottom. From the bottom, they kind of match with the surface. <laughs> he says stingrays won't stab you unless you try to ride them like a pony. Uh, I, I prefer to uh, not do that with something that can stab me. Well, I'd, I'd like to stay back and watch you try to do it with my GoPro. <laughs> just in case it works. <laughs> Right, right, trying for that viral video. Oh, here, here he's got one. I'm waiting for this one to load. It says, here's one of my sun fin with a ray going over the top. Ooh, yeah. It's kind of how I managed, uh, imagined myself when that uh, paddlefish went around me that one time. Yeah, but, you know, looking at the pictures he's seen that we're not being able to see, it doesn't that make you, like, I was going to say a little envious, but I was going to say a hell of a lot envious. We got nothing yeah. like that in Barron Lake or Cora or even Lake Michigan. Darn it. No, no, we don't have any of that stuff. But but uh, we don't have salt water either. No sharks. So if you're afraid of sharks, come dive here. Our, our, that's, maybe I should what be is, a T-shirt. What is it? No guts, no glory, though? Come on. You dive <laughs> out there if you had a chance. I, oh, I certainly would. I'm just trying to convince myself that I, I'm doing fine. <laughs> And then it says, canal leaping, death diving, and bog snorkeling, the world's weirdest water sports. Underwater hockey is made at the Southeast Asian Games, so they're hoping for submerged football and rugby equivalents. Canal leaping videos have gone viral on social media, so people look for alternative sports. In lockdown, the sporting world is on hiatus because of the battle against COVID-19, and that means finding alternative ways to spend your time. It turns out that there's more to life than the English Premier League, UFA Championship League, and NBA. In fact, it's more the sports that than elite men competition, a major sports contest by millionaires employed by billionaires. There's plenty of action in the muddier end of the grassroots. Take wow, flyer Jeppen, a Dutch sport way to cross the canal is going viral on social media. Even if no one knows what it is, we even bring back the sport we can start with because we have no idea what it is, but it's a bit amazing. And I don't dare click on that link. There are plenty of more niche sports from around the world where Flipper Jeppin comes from. 
and I know that the Dutch don't pronounce it that way. Water-based sports, rather than Netherlands, that is. Welcome to water-based sport that has your next video time suck. Perhaps we're allowed outside the chance of becoming a world champion. Red Bull flug tag is evidence of Australia's energy drink giant claims to give you wings is nothing more than a marketing spiel, much like Birdman rally events where most places in the pier seem to have. Competitors are asked to fly out as far in the water as they can using whatever wing device they have cobbled together. The world record is remarkable 76.6 meters, around 7,851 Red Bull cans laid end to end. That's not an embedded marketing ploy there. Giant Pumpkin Regatta is commenting on the size of a squashed hollowed out to make it in the water rather than how many rowers take part. Such a race found in Canada and Pacific Coast of the U.S. where they have grown in popularity since 1990s. Some of those racers are keen to point out the vessels are composted after use, which is assuming that the soup or pie from making them makes it to one of the greenest sports around. How can you look past a video of this world's death diving in it? There's at least less chance of hitting skip. If it's in the world championships, the sport comes from Norway, as said the date back to the 1960s, where children pulled stunts in Oslo pool during the long summer days. Nowadays, people pay to watch the worlds. Divers jump from around a 10-meter board, hold on to an X position with their body for as long as possible before curling it up to hit the water, which definitely sounds on brand for a country that's dark most of the winter and listens to a lot of black metal. What is black metal? Uh, underwater hockey or octopush is a name it calls, mum calls it, dates back to the 1950s. Is what the name suggests. Hockey played underwater. Players push a puck around the bottom of the pool, which sticks and try to get the opposite goal. Underwater hockey must be done. Something right to include as a medal sport in the 2019 Southeast and Asian Games in the Philippines. Flipper jumping, far leaping is what pole vaulting would be if the Olympics is invented by the Netherlands or by a Japanese game show company. Competitors run towards the water with a pole. They plant the pole in and clamber up as fast as they can to make sure when gravity wins its battle over the pole, they come down and land and not in a drink. If you fancy a world record, you'll need to clear 21.64 meters of canal. A certain energy drink company is also taken to sponsoring the age-old pastime of humans jumping off cliffs into water below. At the height, the platform jump off between 26 and 28 meters, and they hope they end up in the water below, with judges marking them for the difficulty of how they got there. Former Red Bull cliff diver Juslino got a job at Royal Caribbean Cruises when he would put on a diving show from a mere 70-meter platform. There are not many sports where you can get into the cruise game. Underwater cycling is another sport where somebody, presumably a scuba diver, has taken a look at established sport and questioned why no one else cared to. Would this be better underwater? The injury might be out, but certainly can be done. For many, that is the reason enough. Plus, it helps many teach cyclists to swim. One thing is certain, it's better sport than velodrome swimming. Underwater football, like underwater hockey and underwater rugby, is played with a snorkel while players to stay beneath the pool surface without having to return to breathe. One of the teams of 13 players needs to get the weighted ball to the opposition end of the pool while other team tries to stop them. Interestingly, American football underwater equivalent was actually invented by in Canada, so it never gave the world. So who said they never gave the world anything anyway? Bog snorkeling sounds like some manner of twisted military punishment, but the reality is much different. Okay, it's not much different unless you consider not swimming. You're not allowed to use traditional swimming strokes under the surface of the bog for a 110 meter to be fun. Plenty to do, and they float to whales 
for the annual world championships where they are now a bog snorkeling triathlon. As if created by Mick Dundee in the middle of the AFL game at the Beachside Barbecue, a beer can regard in Australia's most Australian contribution to the global niche scene. Racers make an ocean-going craft out of a can of beers. They put it to test by nailing out of the Darwin and trying to get back in before sinking and before anybody else. You can call a beer can a boat. No, it's a beer can boat. Whatever a beer can can push, big milk is never far behind. The milk carton regatta is pretty much the same as a beer equivalent, but only can swap for cartons. And the event was popular in Perth until it disappeared in the early 2000s, but it returned this year. At least it's planned to until COVID-19 came for that too. So there you have it. All boards. Why aren't any of these televised? Well, so you know, which, which one for, the, for the people listening on, on the air here, they don't have the uh, ability to take a look at the video clips that go with all these events we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest yeah, one we're assessing, yeah, where that milk carton race, the equivalent that we have uh-huh. is when we have the cardboard races out here in St. Joe. Yeah, they have those. That's a United Way fundraiser that yep. they do, and you can sign up. But this yeah, sure gives you some July, ideas. Gives you a lot of ideas of what you might want to do. Yeah. So start making plans. Let's see. The next one, a man, uh, if, if those weren't crazy enough, man benches, bench presses 62 times underwater with a 50-kilogram barbells. That's a new Guinness World Record. Whitstock not only broke the previous record of 42, but an extra 20 presses to make it a task difficult for anyone who attempts it in the future. <coughs> bench pressing 62 times continuously with a 50 kilogram barbell is praiseworthy achievement, but to do the same number underwater is awe-inspiring, to say the least. That's why Greg Whitscott from the United States did recently earn a place in the Guinness Book of World Record. Whitstock took to a dive at the bottom of Lake in St. Charles, Illinois. <coughs> Managed to do 62 bench presses before returning to the shore. A video posted on YouTube by Guinness World Record shows Whitstock heading down to the bottom of the lake with his barbell, where a bench was already placed on the surface, uh, benched on bench placed on the surface. He is seen doing some stylish black goggles with an assistant stands just a few inches behind him during his underwater workout. Woodstock not only broke the previous record, but did an extra 20. According to reports, his attempt in 2019 was judged invalid because he didn't fully extend his arms. This time, however, he ensured there was no mistakes. Hey, that was so fun. I got 62. I got a full extension all the way, so no problem. No debate. I got it, he said after setting the new world record. Woodstock isn't the only person who recently made it to the Guinness Book with their incredible display of physical strength and stamina. If you ever tried doing planks, you know it hits your core before you even reached one minute mark. Hold it for anything above 90 seconds is commendable for any fitness enthusiast. But 62-year-old man from the U.S. managed to hold a plank so long, he set a new world record for the longest male abdominal plank. It was an extraordinary three-minute or five-minute attempt. Ex-Marine George Hood managed to hold his abdominal plank for a whopping eight hours, 15 minutes, 15 seconds, to set a new Guinness World Record. I think I got about six seconds. It's about what my plank would be. Well, one item, too, when we're talking about the bench presses, that is not with scuba Uh gear people. That is holding your breath. Well, that's what I was wondering to make it a challenge. So, and it sounds like you got to bring your your weights with you. Yeah, didn't you look at the now, video? I'm assuming that is, uh, I again, I can't on this oh. internet connection if I try and watch that video. Oh, okay. So does so that is that what he does? He takes the weight down from the surface and then 
Yeah, he's, and again, that's not with scuba on. So you've got to do pretty good breath hold to get down there, set up, and then do that, and then come back up all on a breath hold. That's pretty damn good. Now, is he taking the weights back up with him? I don't think he has to take the weights back up with him right after he finishes. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not sure if he, it doesn't show me him having a spotter, but I can imagine that if he got really weak and that came down on his throat, he's going to be in one world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah, they they said he did have a spotter. There was somebody behind him. Uh, now, how much weight? So sixty two was it sixty two kilograms? Fifty kilograms. So that fifty kilograms that's underwater. So is that adjusted for being underwater? I don't I mean, think the buoyancy factor of uh, one hundred and ten pounds is going to make a lot of difference in the water. Yeah. I think one hundred and ten pounds is going to feel like one hundred and ten pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be one I'd try. I, I used to do some weightlifting in the days. So, huh. Or it'd be nice to try and say, oh, I got four. <laughs> well, I know what we can do for the, next, for the next January pool. We're going to put a weight bench down there for you guys. There you go. There you go. Well, well, I'll try it. Maybe collectively. I'll video it for you, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything's lighter underwater. The chat room's telling me that... Uh, there's steel, so there's no buoyancy there, which is true. I mean, it's a, it's 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 heavier than water, but uh, okay. Let's see. We got we got some more. Let's see how are we doing for time. Yeah, we're. we're oh, you got a shipwreck coming up. Yeah, we uh, we have a shipwreck that was announced. There's a bunch of them. We're in uh, shipwreck rediscovery season, so I didn't cover those. Uh, it's kind of the same old players, and and maybe we'll we'll do a, a catch up later on, but. If you see anything from the Great Lakes, it's these three or four boards. And then, you know, they're saying that's this wreck or that wreck. They come out of the sand every f- so many years. And with the lake, lake level being up, you're seeing a lot more uh, at one time than what we normally see. But, uh, yeah, not not super newsworthy, but it does get the uh, a lot of publicity. But here's one, shipwreck of the SS Wollongbar. Two found off Crescent Head. This one's in Australia. Coastal freighter torpedo by Japanese submarine in World War II has been discovered in the mid-north coast of North South Wales. Acting Ministry of Veterans Geo Lee said the USS Walling Bar 2 was confirmed by archaeologists from the Heritage NSW after it was reported by the local community. In 1943, a Japanese submarine, the I-180, destroyed the freighter the freight vessel with two torpedoes killing 32 people on board, Mr. Lee said. The ship sank in minutes with only five crew members surviving the attack. The SS Wollongbar II was one of the many vessels lost to enemy assault among the eastern course during World War II. We have just commemorative our brave veterans on ANZAC Day, but it's also important to remember the toll on the war for every Australian, Mr. Lee said. The secret has been hidden the bottom of the deep sea for decades and we'll find to give some closure to descendants and relatives of 32 people who lost their lives. Local MP Melinda Pavey said the significant part of the mid North coast wartime history has been solved. The shipwreck discovery, the Crescent head and port, uh, was that Matt Quiring, choir, quiry fishing industry cooperative brilliantly to help solve the mystery. And I want to congratulate heritage NSW for its important leadership. Mrs. Pavey said, when the vessel sank, it was carrying boxes of butter and bacon, which eventually washed up in the shore, resulting in a boom in cake making, which was normally restricted by wartime food rationing. 
And now, would that have been Salted Bacon? Uh, Director of Heritage Operation and Heritage NSW, Tim Smith, OAM, said the discovery was will reveal some amazing stories. We want relatives of those who sailed on the SS Walling Bar 2 to get in contact so we can share findings of the survey conducted by an archaeologist, Mr. Smith said. And there's a, uh, a nice photo there of some sharks swimming around the wreck. The Walling Bar is a single screw steamer that operated that was owned by the North Coast Steam Navigation Company Limited at 2,239 tons, 87 meters in length. The vessel had been built in Lithgow Limited Shipyard in Port Glasgow, Scotland in 1922. Walling Bar 2 was built to replace an earlier steamer of the same name, wrecked in Balagonal Beach, Byron Bay in 1921. On April 29th, 1943, the merchant ship, the Walling Bar 2, was torpedoed and sunk by the Japanese submarine, which we talked about earlier. Out of the crew of 37, only five survived. On board was a cargo of 18,000 cases of butter, sugar, and bacon. Just the day before the vessel was searching for survivors of the freighter, Limerick torpedoed and sunk off Bellina on April 26th. The loss was attributed to the I-177. Captain Toshio... Kuskaka boldly surfaced the I-180 with only 450 meters from the Walling Bar on the at 10:15 a.m. on April 29th. Captain Charles Benson, 59, and Chief Officer Will Mason saw the Conning Tower submarine submerging in the bubbling sea and a torpedo already fired, bouncing erratically at them at speed. There was no time to sound the emergency alarm. Captain Benson bawled, "Look out for yourselves, boys!" Then went down with a port ladder. The lookout man left the bridge as able seaman Roy Brown remained at the wheel. Mason later recounted how the torpedo struck us just for the bridge with a terrific thud near number two hold. Within moments, another torpedo slammed in the port side, which suddenly exploded into a thunderous crash. Survivors told how the ship broke in two with the bow and stern rising sharply into the air. Wollingbar sank within two minutes, taking Mason deep under the water until he shot up like a jack-in-the-box. He first clung to the box of the butter, then a life ring transferring to a damaged lifeboat from the ship. Engine room greaser Frank Emson was draped across its bow, having been badly scalded by a steam pipe with skin hanging from his arms and hands. Two sailors, Roy Brown, who had been to ship's wheel, and Pat Tehan rowed to them. Both men were uninjured, and they replaced Emerson in a raft and towed it behind the boat. The four men inspected a few other empty la- rafts and then saw another with fireman Blinkhorn waving a piece of white wood. Mason described how when picked when he when we picked him up, his clothes were still dry. He told us he was thrown by the explosion out of a bunker and landed on the raft, quite happy and unhurt. The Catalina flying boat was miraculously passing above them and saw the terrific tower of water from the explosion, even seeing the submarine at periscope depth before it descended into deep water. Being unarmed, that could only provide moral support flying around the circle of devastation and seeing the five men scrambling on the rafts and boats. Captain Benson had rigged the ship's boat in the afts so that if the vessel sank, they would float free. The aircraft left the scene, dropped the message into the town wharf at Crescent, had advising to the disaster. The five survivors stayed for about an hour among the wreckage and thousands of cases of butter looking for others dead or alive, but found no one. The men began to row towards the coast when about two miles off about 4 p.m they were collected by radley family's local fishing trawler xlcr excelsior sent to their aid 
one surviving survivor remarked, I knew the Excelsior would come to rescue us as they had operated the town rescue boats. The vessel still operates a day out of Port McIntyre and is used for training vessel, the new men's senior technical college. A captain crew of the vessel, Father Captain Thomas Radley and brothers Claude, Mervyn, and Russell were among Arthur Beadle and Raymond Smith. They are awarded the bravery certificates by the Royal Shipwreck Relief and Humane Society of NSW for their efforts in rescuing the survivors despite the grave peril they placed themselves in by doing so. Very interesting article. Some good photos in there. Doesn't say how deep it was, does it? It doesn't. Um, my guess is that it's fairly shallow, but I'm going to bet it's a little bit off coast. I was thinking with that boat on, you know, having watched it, or the airboat, I should say amphibian plane, they had a good reference to where it was sunk. So I'm not sure why it would have stayed unknown for so many years. Unknown, or people just didn't think to look, or... Didn't get the PR. Yeah. And there's so, I mean, there was something happening probably every day. I mean, it sounds like submarines were rampant and attacks were frequent and you probably get fatigued and nothing like time makes something more interesting. I mean, in 1948, would anybody cared to find out a piece of junk from a ship that had gone down? Not too much. Cause how many of them were just scuttled just because, you know, loss yeah. of life. I mean, after the ship was no longer serviceable, they put it out shoreline elements took it over and it would sink. A lot of examples of that in Lake Michigan. Yep. And then I think this last article we have is uh, if you love underwater exploration, there is a new 56-foot cruiser that was made for you. It can fit 16 scuba sets in the side lockers. It is the Dutch Craft 56, practically a floating theme park. The 56 boat can fit 16 scuba sets, six sea bobs, eight stand-up paddle boards, two jet skis, a 17-foot tender, and, any, and even a mini submarine. It's all thanks to an oversized aft platform, eight-foot storage locker, which represents one of the largest in its class. And I was surprised when you when you think, I mean, 56-foot is a, is a, it's a big boat, but it's not like a super yacht-sized. So I can't see the photos of it, but does it look impressive? All the boats look impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if somebody gave you that, a crew and a, a million dollars to run it for a year, then... You would take it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It'd be hard, but I, I'd, I'd try it. You, you, could, you could struggle through it. And yep. it does, uh, has a Bauer Jr. scuba compressor to fill the empty tank. So we wouldn't have to come back in the port. We could just stay out in the boat. Uh, it has uh, open deck spaces, well appointed galley, a wine cooler, of course, luxurious living quarters to help you relax, space for up to 36 guests. Eight can sleep across four cabins. The yacht is available, two different layouts, cabin and open. So you can also customize to suit the climate. Uh, I think we're going to go cabin. Uh, Power-wise, the yacht is comfortable with either twin Volvo Penta IPS 600 or 950s. Top option offers a max speed of more than 40 knots in a range of about 840 nautical miles. You can also opt for John Deere commercial spec engine on water jet drives to give you those shallow waters. And off hard-to-reach coral reefs while cruising turbulence will be kept to a minimum thanks to the high-performance composite hull. Perfect boat for the real explorers who want to discover the world with every possible angle, Dutchcraft's owner and founder said in a press release. Of course. Now, I'll take two. 
I could probably well, get my wife to, to go on that boat. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is you make it big enough and fancy enough. That's a trick. But 50, you know, at 56, I mean, it's a big boat, but it doesn't sound big. Because what's like one of the biggest boats that we've got in a dive club? Somebody got a 30 footer? Uh, yeah. I don't think more? I can afford the gas, though. But uh, no, you did no. say the boat plus a million dollars, right? Well, that's, yeah, I had to throw that in because yeah, for it's gas. not the boat that costs you, it's the maintenance, like anything. It's almost like a plane. Yeah, the docking, the maintenance, the gas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not going to get a, a bargain on a boat slip for a 56-foot boat. That's usually the ones that they put at the entrance of the marina, just side docked. Because I, I do know there have been a couple of larger boats there at one of the marinas in St. Joe that they have no engines, but they put them out every year because that's our party boat. Yeah. So it's not all bad. But I had a friend who uh, he bought an old uh, aluminum boat. I can't remember how big it was, but it had to be in the 40-foot range. And he said the only time it moved was it went when it got put in the water to the slip and then back out. Yep. In fact, he said when they when he would pilot it to the slip, it was actually churning the bottom. Yeah, it was in the bottom because it, they hadn't there. It wasn't uh, enough dredging going on for it to run. He had when he first because he, he he had it sitting in his yard here out by me for years. It was up on uh, on a cradle. And he completely redid it inside and out. Uh, and he said he went out to the lake once and he, he said he was, he, you know, he, he was uh, only tried it once. He said it was a little too much for him. But they, that's what they did with it. They, they used it like a floating, uh, you know, resort. They just stayed out there from about May till September. They would just live out there in a the boat. Well, from the price of the boats I'm talking about with no engines and the docking fees and all the amenities you get, the showers, the pool, uh, it's pretty mm -hmm. darn, uh, I won't say yeah. cheap, but it's a very good price to pay for living on the water for five months of the year. I would certainly do it. The problem is my wife would want to bring the horses, and I think <laughs> that would probably be a, a little bit of a challenge. They'd have to have a barn boat to go with it. Or a barge, out towed behind a it. A barge, there you go. There we go. Now you're thinking. Uh, where you could exercise the, 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 the horses. Yeah. Or you could do like a horse treadmill, and then they could run a prop. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah, I'm seeing it now. That's And that's green energy. I'll, you know, they, yeah. Well, that does it for scuba news. Boy, we stretched that one out there long enough, didn't we? Uh, let's see, diving. Does, is anybody... I, I bet you John got some diving in this last week, didn't he? Well, the guys did get back out to Lake 16. Uh, I think Kevin oh, I posted a nice little article on the uh, club site. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of the dive club that came out to do the repairs on the uh, platforms. It was one of the dive shops, I think, who's, who's, who was working on it, which I was glad to see that they that a dive shop took a leadership role and helped redo it. And I, and I wanted to see some photos, but I haven't seen any. So uh, I couldn't tell if they were just visiting the platform or did they actually work on uh, refloating it? That's my understanding. Putting new planks down, items like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Karen says it was a great lakes dive locker with a question mark. So maybe she's questioning as well. It's in, it's in Facebook. Uh, I don't dare open Facebook right now because it would kill my connection. 
That's what I'm trying to do real quick is look at it. Because he did post yeah. a picture because I asked, you guys get any pictures? And I says, no. And then Bob came back with a picture, and I'm looking for it as we speak. And that's about the busiest I've seen Lake 16 as far as the parking lot. Because it's a, it's a fairly small. Uh, in Michigan, it's a, we used to call them like the old uh, public accesses where they're fairly small. You know, it's got a pit toilet and room for about a dozen cars. And uh, they had everybody. And they, were, they all made, made it clear that they were social distancing. Okay, American Dive Zone, yep. as, as uh, Karen said. Yep, I just got so, a picture. Uh, thank you to them for doing that. So if they're in your area, maybe you go and uh, support them. Give them a little business and say that uh, you appreciate that they helped maintain that. Because that's a very popular spot. Uh, my only complaint with it is that it's a full day for me. By the time you get there, do the dive, do the post-dive eating and whatever, and get back home, you've consumed uh, 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 eight or nine hours. But, heck, not Well, yeah, time. I mean, you got to drive there, you do your dive, or your pre-dive stuff, then you do your dive, then your pre-dive afterwards, BS, and then you got to go eat, and then you got to stop at the metal detecting shop on the way back in Plainwell, and then yeah. you get home and you're correct, there goes the whole day. <laughs> You put you had a heck of a good time. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. And and it's a nice we always like to use it for our blowout plans. So if you're gonna go out to Lake Michigan and you can't get out there, well, you know, Lake Sixteen's uh gonna be able to accommodate you. Well, you heard about uh Bob and them took out his new uh DPVs. I, I read a little bit about that. And uh they said with their battery power they've got they could hit everything two or three times before they had to go back. Wow. See, so now they're not going to want to dive with me because I'll just be, like, slowing them down. Well, I figured they could take a tether and just drag me. <laughs> drag me? Since so Bob like, usually has that damn like sun with him. Yeah. <laughs> so if he just puts his good light on the front, I'll be towed behind him. I'll be good. And they said once yeah. you got away from the plume of the other people, they had over 20-foot viz, which is not bad for that place. I'm not too proud to be dragged around. The only thing is I can just imagine that that gets quite chilly being going that speeds in that water at that depth. And that was a comment they did make about it did get chilly, especially on the hands and the feet because you're not using them. Yeah, because you're gripping. Anytime you hold something in your hands, it seems like that's what really makes you cold. But it was good to see that people got some some diving in there doing the uh, social distancing. Yeah. Uh, so glad that's uh, a great sign. And this weekend, the river is going to be out because uh, that's going to be all a, a big mud pool. Uh, we did have the uh, Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve meeting uh, and some good news with the restrictions being lifted. We have enough certified DNR divers that are going to be able to place the two buoys we had last year. And then it looks like we're probably going to be able to buoy, uh, I think they're planning on the Ann Arbor 5. And then we'll be doing a fundraiser, so watch Facebook for the fundraiser, but we're going to try and get enough funds to be able to do the uh, tugboat off of St. Joe. Not St. Joe. I'm sorry. I said St. Joe. Saugatuck's what I was thinking. It's actually Saugatuck. Is it the, that's a fireboat, isn't it? No, the tug is, don't you remember the tug? That's the one that, uh, if you've looked at the pictures, the uh, top of it, if somebody were to put an anchor around, they're going to rip that whole top off of the tug. Yeah. That's the one that's in deeper water, because I thought they were really talking about doing the clay banks up towards South Haven, because one that's shallower, 
and it's definitely within preserved dive limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what the, we were doing was the ones that had made it and that one got approved. So since it was approved, they were going to buoy it. But yeah, it, it's deeper than what I've dove. I mean, I haven't dove it because it's fairly deep. It's a plus the thing I, I like Saugatuck. I mean, my, that's where my family's from that area. But to get out that river, gosh, it's like, it's got to be about an hour just to get to the, the mouth of the river between you. Maybe not an hour, maybe 45 minutes, but that's, it's long. And there's actually some good diving right there at the mouth of the river that they never tell you about. I say good diving, interesting diving, because you really can't see much. Yeah, as a side note, they were talking about uh, the 20-foot visibility. Uh, Water temperature was 39 degrees. Max depth was 78 feet, and they did a 38-minute dive. They said, Mm -hmm. uh, in that time, we looped around every rope twice, saw everything out there multiple times. You do get colder when not finning, but it was fun. By the time we got out, most of the other divers had packed up and left. Fun dive. Looking to next weekend now. Did they say what the next weekend was going to be? Uh, no. I'm just surprised. Well, the, <laughs> the lake has been kicked up enough that I know Bob wants to get out to Havana, but it's been too rough out there. Even today was quite breezy. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to get on the Havana anytime soon. Yeah. Well, and I think he's a DNR diver too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so that that might not that might be a good excuse if he's going to bring his boat out. You probably could talk into John and Kevin both bringing their boats out, and then you could you have a a crew that could get that in. And that one doesn't have to have any repairs. The Rockaway, I think we have to repair that cribbing to be able to get the buoy back up. Let's see. Do you, do you have a uh, dive safety story for this week? Well, actually, I do. Uh, this one here is called "Don't Be a Hero: Lessons for Life." The call went out a person might be missing in the local lake. Butch was the first to arrive at the scene and quickly prepared to dive. He knew time was of the essence. His dispatcher told him the rest of the dive team was on its way and that he should wait, but he decided to enter the water to search for the missing person. Now the diver. Butch was a 52-year-old diver with the local volunteer fire department dive team. He was in fair health, but took medication for high blood pressure. The dive. When the call came in about a immersing person, Butch was at home having a cookout with friends. He'd been drinking but decided to respond to the emergency. He lived near the lake and believed he could help, so Butch grabbed his dive gear and headed out. Butch was the first responder at the lake. He jumped on the emergency radio to figure out how long it would be till the rest of the team arrived. Dispatch told Butch the team was on its way, but it was going to take at least 15 minutes. Judging that might be too long to save the person in the lake, Butch geared up, donning his extra lead in his weight belt, and entered the water, but without his fins. The accident. When the rest of the dive team arrived at the lake and surveyed the scene, they saw Butch's truck, but he wasn't anywhere to be found. Minutes later, a member of the dive team saw Butch floating unconscious on the surface. The team immediately entered the water and pulled him to the shore. When they reached him, Butch's regulator was out of his mouth. Medics on the scene attempted to resuscitate Butch, but... Their efforts were unsuccessful. The analysis. One of the first things a professional rescuer learns is to put their own safety first. That includes wearing protection such as gloves and masks against body, you know, potential against body substances. It also meant waiting until a scene is secure and making it safe to begin. And in this case, having appropriate surface support. 
Considering the lack of a reliable witness to show Butch where the person went missing and that the time had elapsed, this should have been treated as a recovery, not a rescue. And the rest of the team was in that mode. Recovery, not rescue. In Butch's case, he did a number of things wrong. The autopsy indicated he had a blood alcohol level of 0.25, which is more than three times the legal limit to drive a vehicle in most states. It is likely the alcohol in his system clouded his judgment when he decided to enter the water and to begin the search alone. He shouldn't even have driven to the lake, much less donned his dive gear and attempted to rescue. Public safety diving, the underwater work of fire and police dive teams, comes with a number of risks. They also dive in situations with low visibility and lots of underwater entanglements. They also often face cold water and unknown currents. Well-trained divers and teams work in groups with surface support, backup divers ready to enter the water at a moment's notice, especially if a diver in the water have any trouble. Butch entered the water alone. This is not necessarily unusual depending on the conditions, but there should have really been surface support and spotters and a backup present. And typically, a rescue diver, the diver wears a harness with a rope attached so that if the diver gets in trouble, surface support can locate the diver quickly. Depending on the dive team and the situation, divers may wear full face mask and communications so that they can coordinate the search while diving. It isn't unheard of a diver to enter the water without fins, but it doesn't make much sense to do so. The autopsy declared or determined that Butch's cause of death was cardiac event due to hypertensive cardiovascular disease. In other words, he had a heart attack in the water. The investigation into his death also determined there was an elevated level of carbon monoxide in his breathing gas and that his equipment was poorly maintained and actually unsafe. There was also an elevated CO2 in his tank, which could have come from an improperly set up compressor that allowed automobile exhaust gas or exhaust from a compressor to enter the compressor intake. In this case, Butch could have had a heart attack walking down the street or at his cookout, but diving alone in a strange environment with poorly maintained gear and bad breathing gas might have pushed his body over the edge. Had he been wearing a full face mask, he might not have lost his regulator, and there's a greater chance he might have survived the incident. Even after losing consciousness, he could have continued to breathe. There's also a chance that he might have gone into sudden cardiac arrest on the bottom and just plain out died. We'll never know exactly what happened. Regardless, Butch should never have entered the water alone or with such poorly maintained gear. Ultimately, there are two issues here. One is general health and fitness to dive. Especially as we age, it is virtually important, or actually vitally important, to maintain an acceptable level of fitness. There's some debate among diving psychologists about what level is appropriate, but all divers should be healthy enough to respond to underwater emergencies, unexpected currents, and long swims in full gear. High blood pressure is not an absolute contradiction to diving, but you need to make sure you're fit and stay in close contact with your diver and your meds. The doctor should understand the unique situations and stresses the diving environment puts upon your body. Public safety divers need to be able to function at an even higher level. They're diving in stressful situations with heavy gear and less than ideal environments. The second point is training 
and proper execution of the dive and search. There are many well-trained and properly outfitted volunteer professional public safety dive teams. They dive regularly, take specialized search and rescue training continuously. Butch was intoxicated. He was using poorly maintained gear, and he broke every public safety and diving protocol to do it. In this situation, the remaining dive team had to care for one of its own while also organizing and executing a search and rescue operation for the missing person. The person had drowned and was found later at the bottom of the lake. Lessons for life. Be healthy to dive. Applies to every diver, every dive. Consult the diving physician. This is especially important if you've been diagnosed with a medical condition that might make diving unsafe. And training. Do not enter a dive environment you are not prepared for. And the only thing I'll add to it is there are some really concerns coming about about can a COVID-19 patient return to diving because of the special way it's it's attacking the lungs. And even after you are out of the hospital, doesn't mean your your lungs are in the same shape they were before. So this remains to be seen of uh, what we're going to be talking about with your lungs after you survive the virus. Yeah, and and hopefully there's some studies that are going to be done on this because some of the initial uh, analysis of this has been that even people who have not gone to the emergency room who have had very minor symptoms have actually had lung damage, and they recommend that you seek a physician to be certified to dive again. So I anticipate that you're going to see dive shops add that to the questionnaire and then require that you have been cleared to dive. Yeah, there's an article already on it talked about uh, a Dr. Hartwood describes his involvement with six active scuba divers who are hospitalized with conditions brought on by SARS and COVID-2 and subsequently recovered and were discharged. Uh, they returned for checkups several weeks later, outwardly appeared to be healthy, but closer examination of them proved not so much. Uh, in two out of the six, there was sufficient oxygen deficiency when under stress. Uh, two of them had bronchial irritation, as if they were asthmatics. asthmatics. Uh, and four out of the six had significant lung changes. So uh, it remains to be seen, and it does not sound like it's uh, going to be a happy time for a diver who gets that. No, no. So hopefully... Uh, for those who have had it, that you don't have any damage, but you certainly want to take every precaution because you don't want to discover that you're not fit for diving uh, at depth. Well, they're actually talking. I was looking at the risk of infection. Uh, If you've had it, they're saying before returning to diving, divers should therefore wait a minimum of three months after they've had the symptoms. Wait a month after they're tested, even if they're asthmatic. Asystematic. Uh, it's a dive and dive center should strictly observe guidelines for gear uh, disinfection as distributed by Dan. And they said it's a, a huge risk of uh, pulmonary barotrauma and a risk of cardiac events. And what is the other one? Uh, they were talking about pulmonary oxygen toxicity. It appears that some COVID, uh, COVID-19 patients 
symptoms worse, worsened after being given pre-oxygen. So they're not quite sure how this is going to affect a diver who survived and then maybe uses a high enriched uh, breathing gas. Mm -hmm. So this is really going to be interesting to see what this does to the diving community. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to be covering a bunch of articles with people who died because they, they had COVID-19 and went, di and went diving afterwards. Well, this is one of those cases that even if you've had a bad cold and you don't know if you had it, you really might want to get yourself checked out before you do any diving. And I shouldn't say any, I'm, I'm you know, 10 feet to me is still 10 feet, but if you're going 60 and 70 and 100, you are really putting a lot of stress on your cardiovascular system. Yeah. Well, you have anything you want to plug, Mac? Anything that we need to chat about before we get out of here? Oh, I know one thing I was going to ask you about, and uh, we're, we're in the, the later part of the show, so I, I think nobody's listening anymore. But <laughs> what, what, what was your thoughts about the Pentagon releasing the three UFO tapes? Actually, uh, that's old news. Uh, actually, the American Legion put a, in their mag had a couple of months ago on it, which was quite revealing. The French released all their values over four years ago, and they basically said, there's something out there. We don't know what it is, but whatever we got, can't touch it. <laughs> the concern with the American Legion's post is the military know it. They say they're not doing anything about it. And that's very concerning because whatever is out there, they gave one example uh, where the guys on a carrier group had been followed by these craft for two months, a carrier group on radar. <laughs> and their biggest thing was, we can't touch anything they're doing. And how can any government deny that now? that's already been publicized, there's something out there we have no clue if it's from another country. The chances of that are probably slim to none. We should be doing something about it. And right now, if they are, they're not telling anybody anything. So the second so part was they believe that they may be unmanned because of how fast and how they can turn. They believe they're probably drones, but they do believe it is from a a source not necessarily from our own. Uh, Why they just don't say extraterrestrial, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the funny part is, I started reading up on, uh, uh, I'm making some notes of a trip I took years and years ago. I was on the ship, U.S. is off a, a troop carrier called the Geiger. And in part of my review of some stuff on this, I found the Geiger had actually been two months after I was on it in the Caribbean and had reported, and the log was really explicit, that it was tracked by a very shiny orbital craft for three hours. And when it accelerated away, it was like gone. Continuing the report, there was a secondary ship 300 miles away that filed the report through the Navy saying, oh, by the way, we have a very shiny orb tracking our boat. And the question is, it was 30 minutes after it disappeared from the Geiger from the report from the other vessel. And uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, I used to be a, what they call a Hawkman. I don't know, but homing all the way killer, it's a missile. And we had three different radars 
that we use to identify targets at low, medium, and high altitudes. And you look at some of the reports back through the years of aircraft on the radar screen doing stuff that ain't one of our airplanes, and it ain't noise. And all of those reports just didn't make it out, but they were reported. This is since 1960s. That's recent. So you yeah. tell me, what do you think? I I don't know. I mean, at some point you have to believe that people are seeing what they think they see, but I don't know if it's, you know, what it is. Well, if it's on freaking radar (laughs) and you're tracking it and you've got a video camera that's very, very good, uh, I'd say chances are I'm going to believe what I'm seeing as opposed to what you're telling me. Maybe it's a psychological test where they've programmed it into the radar. And it you just think bites. so? No, I don't. But <laughs> I'm just. I, just I don't think I'd want that in my fighter jet if I were you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh. So why did so you think I, the Pentagon's I, releasing it? I mean, are they doing it now because everybody's preoccupied? I. I really don't know. It's one of those items. People say, "Well, Trump made the Space Corp." You're making you maybe you are wondering like maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe it's for another reason. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting theory. I mean, so. you go back to the Apollo missions, and how many times did they identify, or how many times have you looked at some of the old astronauts said they saw stuff, they reported it, and they said, yeah, well, we'll worry about it later, basically. A good, good number of them. Right. Well, and then you, you, you talk to some of those pilots, and they've seen it enough that they don't even want to talk about it because they, they don't want something to come back on them. So it's, and that's the way it used to be. They yeah, take you off duty because you're unfit for flying. But yeah. the French were the first ones to release it because there's so many pilots were re- making reports and they didn't call it that. They just say it's an unknown aircraft or something, basically saying the same thing. Hmm. So I, I, was just, I just wanted to get your take on it while we were recording. Have, so. have you never seen something in the air or something you could not explain? Well, I, I see I, stuff I see like that all the time, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I don't have any perspective to understand what I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, it's it's quite interesting. If you look at MUFON, are you familiar with that? Yes. Okay. Lake Michigan is a heyday for this place. Another place is off of California. They have got records of tracking vessels traveling at 250 knots underwater on sonar. Now, up into the hypersonic missile and now the hypersonic uh, torpedo that the Russians have, you know, 20 years ago, they didn't have that. What the hell is going to be doing 250 knots underwater? Nothing that we know of. That's exactly my point. And if you had a Navy that had something that good. Oh, they'd be bragging about it. That or they'd be doing a little more than bragging. Yeah. yeah. Anybody who who can do that, who's not our friend, is going to be taking advantage of that. Absolutely. Either for PR or for actually doing something. Yep. Well, just that new hypersonic one. And uh, they've got a hypersonic or a nuclear-fueled cruise missile now that's really going to be interesting. And you're talking Mach 5 to Mach 7, depending on who you want to believe. And it's low, it jinks. And I mean, how the hell are you going to stop that sucker? Yeah, I, I, I don't know on on some of this stuff. 
and you know that's a and that's a true item that's been out for maybe a year now yeah uh, the the question is how much capacity they have how many of them how quick can they build them how reliable are they well the soviet union has changed their perspective on nuclear weapons now they believe that they could use a something like a baby nuke like the old davy crockett are you familiar with the davy crockett uh in, in general yes it 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 like a suitcase bomb but one we had them so you could uh, use artillery shells on them the hawk actually was uh able to be modified with that even though it never was uh, it's a small yield tactically nuke that you could take out a village so you didn't have to go take the village go around it after you nuked it right so uh uh who can tell yeah and and i think in the, and we're way off topic, but I think that uh, Russia needs to take that position just because they they know that we've got superior forces and capacity. So you've got to float that out there as a deterrent. They're going to, and that's their, in their expansion aspect. They felt that if they used a small nuke, we are not, and we won't. We we're not going to retaliate. It's a small nuke. You kill, you know, a couple thousands. Why are you are you going to really send a Big nuke over? Ain't no way in hell. They're right. And it's not and it's not your country they nuked. It's another little country you don't care about. They're neighbors, right. you know? Yeah. So you're not gonna yeah. go to war over that. And if you did, and, it's already over. Yeah, and, and the neighbors don't the, the people who you're protecting don't want you to use that nuke anyway. So yeah. it, it's 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 interesting, but people always look at us like we're the heavies. Look at the the new emphasis on what they can do and get away with biologics or another one, but we're not going to go there right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I, I think we've, we've beaten this to death. Maybe it's, maybe it's another podcast idea. We'll do another show. Yeah. UFO one. I like those are good. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do one. Uh, if, if you, if you think we should do a UFO only podcast, let me know. I, I could be the skeptic because, uh, well, I'm not against the idea. I still haven't been convinced, even though my dad did drag me to some UFO conference when I was younger. Uh, well, anytime you look at the number of sightings on our coast, and anytime that you get the radar in Chicago picking up the same targets people are seeing, there's something to it. I'm just saying, <laughs> or at least yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to be convinced. I mean, that's what it comes down to is that I, I just – and and I the ones I believe the most are the ones that are pre the last 10, 15 years. Because right now you can make uh, CGI that to duplicate anything. So it, it comes down to the people who are there, uh, you know, their experiences listening to how they talk backed up with some evidence. When you say CGI, you mean home video, I would agree. But the camera coming off the gun thing off of, of the jet, I don't think that was CGI. The Navy is not going to let you do that. <laughs> They're not going to let you CGI the. Yeah. So, uh, but I, but I would like to. I, I think that's maybe an idea. We'll have to, we'll have to investigate that. I'd like to thank everybody in the chat room if you're enjoying the program. Uh, <laughs> off topic or otherwise. <laughs> off topic or otherwise, we could certainly use the support. Mac, I'm getting a little bit of feedback from your uh, your speakers. Maybe a little loud. Uh, so you can go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com forward slash, no, just scubaobsessed.com. That will get there. Facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. On Twitter, at scubaobsessed. And uh, 
if you want to give us a little bit of support, we certainly could use it. You, you head on over to our website, click on the Patreon link, and $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes, and uh, we send out emails from time to time just to let you know what's going on. Uh, if you have any feedback, the show at Scoob Obsessed, or uh, we have uh, contact us links on the website so you can get a hold of us. And Patreon, that's a good way. I, that's probably about the best way now is if you're a Patreon supporter and you message us through the Patreon platform. Uh, that's a great filter. Well, Mac, did you have anything you wanted to plug? I think I probably said this earlier. Nope, I'm good right now. Again, I'm just staying in and stay secluded. So other than people who get out there, just stay safe. And then okay. the side note is after we finish, I'd be curious of the people still online. What do they think of UFOs? I'd like to, I'm, I'm watching the little messaging here. Let me, I'm just curious what other people think. Okay, we'll do that. And I'll uh, share I, a couple of stories with you. Certainly. So we, we've got a couple jokes that we'll get here at the end of the program. So the first one's going to kind of be a warm-up. So are you ready? Ever ready. My friend says, keep saying, cheer up, man, when it could be worse. You could be stuck underground in a hole full of water. I know he means well. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that one, I was thinking, of course, I'm a diver. I want to go in a hole of water. But I, I, I think that was, yeah, the, the, chat, the chat room says it's not so bad. I, it was so bad, I couldn't understand it. Sounds lovely to me. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so here, here's one I, I think that you'll especially enjoy. You know, ev- even with the uh, virus going around, uh, our nation's capital diver was uh, stuck in a traffic jam on the highway outside of Washington, D.C. Nothing was moving. Suddenly, a man knocks on the window, and the driver rolls down the window and asks, what's going on? He says, terrorists have kidnapped the entire U.S. Congress, and they're asking for $100 million ransom. Otherwise, they're going to douse them with gasoline and set them on fire. We're going car to car accepting donations. He says, so how much is everybody giving on average, a driver asks. The man replies, roughly a gallon. And at today's prices, I'd give more. Right. We could, we could go five or ten. Why stop there? Oh, boy. Someday we're going to look back and laugh. At least I hope so. <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Still got to be on the line here, so I see Karen and Eric and Dave. So, all right, guys, do you believe in UFOs or not? Yeah. So, all right. kind of the answer to the question on Craig is that Craig does it is a cloud recording service. So, even if I'm breaking up to you, for some reason, Craig almost always has it clear. So he, it's like he's getting a a good version from each of us individually, and then stores it. So even any one of us or all of us can crack, can leave, and it will be there. Well, that's good and to he know. Can record, yeah, and he can record up to 24 hours. But five minutes of somebody not being on, meaning somebody with a microphone not being on, then yeah. he'll, he'll drop off. But I was trying to get back on the uh, 
Verizon and Discord. Discord had uh, an alert saying that Verizon customers were having problems. Of course, Discord blamed Verizon, and Verizon, of course, doesn't answer to anybody. But what's weird is that I dropped off, and then it looked like Kevin dropped off maybe two or three minutes later. And I think, Karen, didn't you have some problems also where you got kicked off as well? No, she's typing right this second. I, I don't know why I didn't get kicked off. Yeah, she she said she was on AT and T and dropped and, and unless uh, I've got I, I've got a good one and quite often I'll take it off Wi Fi and hook it straight into the cable if I'm doing a lot of download. Yeah, well, I think information I do that. I think this this was all up in the cloud, way up there in the cloud. You know, they had a storm or something. Uh, but so you're you're connected closer to the Discord server than the rest of us are, and uh, so. There was some sort of internet hiccup. Okay. So we're, this is episode 446. Isn't that amazing? It is April, April, 446 episodes, not including bonuses. So are you ready? I was ready as I'm going to be.